0: Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. As we continue to make our way through there. We only have one verse today. Some people may note a disparity that the husbands only get one verse. But uh, don't worry. All right, verse 7. Likewise, husbands... Uh, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Uh, Father, the fear of the Lord is uh, the beginning of wisdom. And so uh, help us to bow before you in reverence that that door of wisdom may open to us, a door which results in obedience and joy and delight. And uh, so grant us this great gift this morning. Humble our hearts before your word that uh, we might receive it as your word and not simply as the word of men or women. Help us to understand your word and shape our lives by this word as you renew our minds, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you've all heard of The Taming of the Shrew, one of those classic plays by Shakespeare, which is meant to be a sort of exaggerated sense of uh, the dynamics that can take place within the context of marriage. Um, It is not meant to be a model of for marriage. Uh, if you watch uh, some rendition of or some version of The Taming of the Shrew and think, well, that's how I've got to run my home, you are a fool and you are in big, big trouble. Uh, but really, it, in some ways, it's a reflection of the curse. In the Garden of Eden, men, uh, Adam and Eve were made to be partners together. Uh, while he was the head of the home, uh, They were working together to fulfill the creation mandate. And so if he was king, she was queen. We see, of course, in the account there in uh, Genesis 3, uh, that she is then deceived by the serpent, and she takes from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and uh, we see that she then eats of it and gives it to him to eat as well. And so a number of things take place as a result of the disobedience of Adam. We see in the uh, God's response there, uh, in part, that uh, her desire is for her husband and he will rule over her. And so the power struggles uh, that begin to infect marriage because of sin, are a result of the curse. Some of the curse that is uh, laid out to, to Adam that we didn't mention is given within the context of, because you listened to or obeyed your wife, meaning, because you inverted the created order, these things are going to happen to you. And so when Peter writes this letter, he writes to a community that is surrounded by people who are engaging in marriage as a function of the curse and not redemption. And what Peter is trying to say here is that redemption matters, and it matters in marriage. And if your marriage as a Christian is not affected by redemption then something has gone very awry. That though we live in a faithless place in which marriage is often marked by power struggles and by oppression, as faithful people, we can live very different marriages. So our big idea this morning is that the gospel creates husbands who care for their wives. (coughs) Your points are going to be different because I changed them. But we see, first of all, that Jesus helps husbands live together with understanding. Now there's a break in the pattern that takes place here, because Paul uh, Peter Rather, has been dealing with the reality of authority, and he's been calling people to live in submission to various authorities, but he has never addressed those authorities. It changes here. Because in this context, the authorities are in the church. And so he addresses these husbands. But there's similarity here as well. Because he says, likewise. Meaning, in the same way, or in like manner, that you're supposed to do something here. And this expresses... Their hope in God, just as we saw at the end of chapter 2, and that with the likewise most likely addresses at the very beginning of chapter 3, as a function of your hope in God, do these things. Do these things likewise, even though the person you're interacting with may not be fulfilling their side of things. Okay, we saw how uh, for the servants, um, Peter said, whether they are a kind master or not, you are to live in subjection to them. And in this and it's implied also with with the wives even though your husband uh, may or may not be a great husband you are to live in this fashion it depends upon you and your relationship with god it's not really about you and your relationship with that other person and so paul peter here is once again kind of invoking that it doesn't matter what your wife is like you are to live in this particular way it's about your relationship to Jesus Christ that affects how you relate to this person that you are married to. So, he says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, isn't that very crystal clear for us all? Okay, uh, it's, it's rather odd, uh, this, this phrase, live together, which is actually a compound word, uh, you know, two words stuck together. And uh, that's only found in the New Testament here. Now, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's found in a couple of places, primarily in Deuteronomy, and it has to do, again, with that idea of living together in marriage. So live together in marriage with your wives, but in a particular way, he says, an understanding way. This is a little different than what we see in and Paul. Like Colossians 3, for instance, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Uh, this is not as clear as what Paul says. But I think this is also about the quality of life together. Uh, these men were to live together with their wives according to knowledge, which is the word that's there often explained, uh, Translated as knowledge, wisdom, not according to fear. Okay, What is the man supposed to understand? What is he supposed to know? What what is supposed to uh, affect how he lives with his wife? And I think that it's threefold. I think he needs to understand the gospel, first of all. He needs to remember Jesus though he was in the very form of God, uh, did not cling to his rights. But we see that Jesus humbled himself and was obedient even as a servant. He humbled himself to serve. He didn't cling to his rights, his privilege, his power, but he emptied himself of these things. And so for a husband to live in an understanding way, it means that he understands what Jesus did for him, humbled himself to save the husband and the wife, and that that is to be part of the pattern for how he interacts with his wife. To be one who also humbles himself, himself instead of clinging to his rights and making it all about himself. And so he doesn't use the power that he has to exploit but he, in a sense, divests himself as necessary in order to serve. He also needs to understand his wife. He needs to understand who she is. What are her strengths? What are her weaknesses? What are her needs? What are her fears? Because he's called to love a, or live with a particular. Person, and I know this may come as a surprise, but not all women are the same. They are not interchangeable. Okay? Uh, there are people here who, uh, women here, who could not be married to me. I don't know why my wife wanted to be married to me. And likewise, there are women that I, that I would really have a hard time being married with because of the ways in which our strengths and weaknesses and needs would would sort of clash with one another in a way. A man needs to understand his wife. And while I'm not a big love language proponent kind of guy, because I see there are limitations to that idea of of love language, there is a nugget of truth there. There are certain ways, if I'm going to love my wife well, uh, that I, there are certain ways I should do it so that she understands that I love her well. You see, well, I'm all into affection. I know you find that hard to believe. My wife is into service. And so that means that, you know, cuddling up on the couch with her doesn't really communicate love to her. But me chipping in doing that dusting which i long overdue and doing uh, <laughs> that communicates love to my wife okay but it may not communicate love to your wife okay she will understand a different language so know her language speak her language help her to feel loved not only that but understand yourself You should have a working knowledge of yourself, your own strengths, your own weaknesses, your own needs and fears, so that you can be a good husband. Now when you go in Scripture, there's there's one guy that really stands out as someone who didn't get themselves. They were a fool. In fact, their name means fool. It's Nabal. It's Nabal, who, because of his pride and his stupidity, almost had his entire household destroyed by David when he said, no, we're not going to provide you with any food, even though you've been protecting our flocks out there while you've been hiding from King Saul. And so David is the one who is ready to run in there with all of his soldiers and just wipe out Nabal's household, and wise Abigail saves the day. Nabal is exactly what we're not supposed to be. Rather, as Paul talks about in Philippians, just before that passage of how Jesus humbled himself and was obedient, we see, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that is true even more within the context of marriage. A Christian husband does not look only to his own interests. That's what the unbelievers do. But we are to look also to the interests of our wives that we may care for them and that we may love them. And so living together means in part that you are addressing her sinful patterns with the gospel, not with condemnation, not with criticism, but with a call to faith and repentance. Not with verbal abuse, not with physical abuse, but rather with the call to faith and repentance. Showing mercy to her as a sinner in need of Jesus. Living together means that you also address her weaknesses with the Gospel. Those places where she is weak are not met with your persistent impatience, but rather are met by patience and service. There are times when my wife gets worn out, when my wife is tired, and I try to remind her that Uh, since she does most of the shopping. But when I go to Costco, what I often will try to do is if they're running a sale on the garlic chicken things. See, we don't eat a lot of processed food, you know, but if that's on sale, I'm picking it up. Why? Because there are those nights when she is too worn out to cook and I didn't know that I might have to be cooking And that's something that's easy to get done lickety-split so the family can be fed. It's a way to serve her for those moments when she is weak and unable to serve herself. So living together is uh, meant to reflect some of these things. Knowing those places of, of her own weakness and instead of criticizing her for them, stepping in and serving in order to assist Living together is also about knowing how to address her desires and fears in light of God's design and God's grace. So a lot of this is understanding the gospel and understanding her and bringing those two things together so that she's able to grow and be served by you. Marriage is, gentlemen the primary context for your sanctification, the primary context in which you are going to be made more like Jesus. The, way, the place in which you are going to move more towards love. Marriages. And so Jesus because we're united with him, helps husbands to use their position and power to help their wives grow. Secondly, Jesus helps husbands show life to the vulnerable vessel. So Peter has is, is, is first mentioned this idea of live in an understanding way, and now he's beginning to expand on that idea just a little bit here. And and. And talk about what it means. And part of it is showing honor to the woman or wife. Because even though she's under authority, she is not a servant, and she is not to be treated like one. We see this as a reflection of what we find in Proverbs 31, which we talked about a little bit last week. Her children shall rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her or gives her honor. He does not point to his position as the head of the household and think that he has all the honor, but she is one flesh with him, and therefore he shares his honor with her. Now, in a worldly view, we see that Jesus mentions that, that the Gentiles use their authority to lord it over the weak. And that is exactly not what is supposed to happen in the kingdom, and especially what is not supposed to happen within the context of marriage. And this is the reality. We all struggle with pride. Which means we struggle with selfishness. Which means we struggle with putting our needs and our wants and our desires first. We struggle with that considering others' interests as well, part. And it is the gospel which humbles us. Because... It's not about how good we were, but we as saw, we saw at the end of chapter 2, we see that Jesus bore our sins. We're saved not because we we got it all together, but despite the fact that we don't have it much together at all. And so that should humble us and that should move us off of our pedestal that we tend to place ourselves upon because Jesus had to bear our sin. And so a godly husband is one who begins to use his authority in order order to serve and honor her, not to oppress or to exploit or take advantage of her. Now he's honoring her, and Peter uses this strange phrase, which uh, can annoy a lot of people, uh, as the weaker vessel. It's a phrase which has created some problems. I believe it's also created some misunderstandings. Um, Like, for instance, the the, the part, the vessel part, seems to (coughs) indicate that she's somehow less than he is. But all of us are vessels. Okay? We're all creatures. Okay? Whether husband or wife, you are a vessel or Creature. He mentions this idea of a the weaker vessel, and now that causes some people to stumble. While women are generally speaking weaker than men, I don't think that's the point. It should not be limited to physical strength, but it talks about what I would I would say a better way of understanding the more vulnerable vessel because socially, at that time, just as today, but it's not quite like that today, but it's close, women were more vulnerable. They're more vulnerable to physical abuse. They're more vulnerable socially to be exploited. Women then had fewer rights. For instance, uh, the husband could divorce the wife, but the wife couldn't divorce the husband. And so a husband could hold that over the head of his wife as a threat. Do what I want or and manipulate her and exploit her. And there are other ways that a husband in that day could do things like that to exploit her. Because if she's on her own, she has no one to watch out for her. Now, some of that has disappeared, but not all of it. How many single women like going to buy a car? Knowing that that person is going to try to take advantage of you in a way that they would not generally try to take advantage of a man. Which is why some of you bring men, to wrestle with the salesman, Not physically, <laughs> but intellectually. One of the reasons, not the only reason, but the, the wage disparity, one aspect of that between men and women is, men are more likely to negotiate the wage. Women are more likely to accept the wage. That is an aspect, not the only aspect. And so women still have less economic and social standing. They're still to be understood as more vulnerable vessels. And a husband is not supposed to take advantage of that but rather honor her and protect her and strengthen her in the midst of that. He does not use his own standing, his own economic power, in order to oppress her or exploit her or get his own way. But rather we see, which is why we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that the body tends to afford greater honor and protection to its more vulnerable parts. We all understand this. If you compete in sports, you generally have protective devices over the most vulnerable parts of your body. And so, the husband, knowing his wife is vulnerable... Make sure that he affords her greater honor and greater protection, not less honor, less protection. We could put it this way, perhaps. Treat your wife like a precious vase, not like a metal dumpster. She's valuable. She's not indestructible. She's not there to receive all of your abuse because you have a lousy boss and want to take it out on somebody. She is your most valuable, and I dare say, don't want to say commodity, but still, she's the thing that's most precious to you. So treat her like she's precious to you as opposed to something you can just go buy another one of. If we're truly one flesh, and we are, then we will share our honor and dishonor together. And so Jesus helps husbands to use their strength to honor their vulnerable wives. Thirdly, Jesus helps husbands to show honor to their co-heir of life he he adds another way in which we live in an understanding way. And Peter himself, according to Paul in First Corinthians 9, when, when Paul was talking about the rights of the apostles and uh, and how there were certain things he didn't make use of, he notes, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, who is Peter? And so Peter brought his believing wife along when he was doing missionary journeys and trips to visit churches and all of that stuff. He didn't keep her home because, of course, it's not like today where you can fly somewhere, spend two days, come home. All right? This is uh, you're gone for months at a time, and instead of leaving his wife home to to fend for herself, he brought her along, and that was a good thing, not a bad thing. She was not an apostle, she was not in herself a missionary, she had a lesser place, shall we say, but she was not a lesser or inferior person. There is a fundamental distinction between one's role or one's office and one's value as a person made in the image of God. And Peter lays this out by saying that they are heirs with you of the grace of life. You have an equal position before God. There is no special advantage that men have before God. We see this in places like Galatians 3 verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay? Redemption does not remove distinctions between persons ultimately and completely, you know, but in terms of their access to God, in terms of, of their relationship with God, they are all on equal footing. And the husband is to remember that his wife is on equal footing with God through Jesus Christ, if she's united to Him. As Paul says in Romans 8, "...the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ." Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And in there, Paul is not making any distinction between male or female. All of them who believe in Christ are children of God. All of them were heirs. And now, in, again, women in that culture at that time weren't normally heirs. It was the son who was an heir, not the daughter. And so a great privilege is bestowed upon these women because spiritually they are also heirs. They're not second-class Christians. And the husband has to keep that in mind in how he treats her, how he thinks of her, how he speaks of her. He is to treat her as his spiritual equal because... Peter notes that if you don't show her honor, there are going to be problems. He introduces this idea that so your prayers may not be hindered. Because marital distress will put stress on your prayers in a variety of ways, one of which is you will not be praying together. Who is the last person you want to pray with? Someone you've been arguing with. Someone that you're mistreating. Or someone that's mistreating you. You don't want to pray with them. And so their prayers would be hindered if he is mistreating her. She's not going to want to pray with him, and he's not going to want to really pray with her, and they will pray less. And so be, those prayers will be hindered in that way, but they will also be hindered in another way. Because the Father and His discipline for the unjust, injustice that is taking place may not listen to our prayers while we're oppressing our spouse. If you are ignoring her needs, the Father may ignore your needs in order to prompt you to change so that you will begin to consider her needs too and not just your own. And so prayers may be hindered that way as well. All this really to say is that your faith is intended to shape your most important relationships. If it's not shaping how you interact in those most important relationships, then something is wrong. Either you're misunderstanding the faith or you don't really have faith. And so, Paul, Peter here, <coughs> like Paul in Ephesians 5 and, and Colossians 3, is calling uh, these men to live out their faith within the context of their marriages. That is the primary place where you're living out your faith, and it should affect positively how you interact with and treat your spouse. And so the gospel is able to move men from the taming of the shrew to loving her like Jesus loved the church. We see that Jesus who humbled himself to save the church begins to help husbands to humble themselves, to consider their wives' needs, interests, hopes, and fears. And so not all of you are married right now, but some of you want to get married someday. some of you teenagers who are here, or uh, people in your 20s. This is also a hint of what you should be looking for or who you should be becoming. Don't expect to be married if you don't treat women well, guys. A oh, woman don't entertain the affections of a man who doesn't treat women well rather look for a person be a person who honors and protects a wife instead of taking advantage of her through his physical or social strength be a man who sees her for what she is, a co-heir with Christ, whose inheritance is the same as his. And so husbands, let your faith shape how you husband to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, <coughs> we pray that the, the men, the married men in this room would uh, grow in their grace and understanding so that they can increasingly honor their wives. So they can increasingly see them as you see them. So they can deal tenderly with them in their sin. They can be tender to their wives in their own sin by confessing it. Seeking forgiveness as well. Help us to grow in our understanding of how the gospel relates to this precious relationship that you have given. And Father, we pray for the kids that they would uh, increasingly learn what to look for and what to run away from. So that should you bring marriage into their lives, that it would be a healthy, godly marriage and not a destructive, exploitive marriage. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.